I'm just saying, man. You with those rain dances leaving us. I don't know if we get to delay this thing here. Look, I'm sorry, but the skirt is totally ruined after that weekend. Yeah, there's nothing, no ounce of water left in it. I'm going to have to get a new one. Let's uh, start a Kickstarter to get fill a new hula dress. I, I think it all worked all on that one spot in spa. Holy jeez. A little too well. Sorry, guys. And it's lights out. We're back with another episode of Flippin' F1, where four fanboys fire off about F1. We've had Silverstone, the qualifying that isn't qualifying, Budapest, one car on the grid for lights out, and now Spa, the race that wasn't a race. Truly, the mind boggles for what the sequence will bring for Zandor. But let's talk about this week's race, where our post-race vlogs features, as always, goofball games, candid commentary, and accessible analysis, not to mention my usual avalanche of alliteration, while we break down, uh, can we call it a race? Was it a race? No. I don't know. It was not a race. (laughs) (laughs) We'll talk about the circuit, the surrounding area. We'll dig up a little bit deeper into the world's most legendary motorsport. So whether you're one of our seven, maybe eight now listeners, or are new to the pod and the sport, our panel remains always, always more steady than the rain at Spa. Andrew, how you doing, man? Not too bad, Randy. How are you? I'm good. I'm always good, man. What's happening out on the left coast there? Oh, not too much. I think I'm probably over getting up at 6 a.m. on a Sunday morning for absolutely nothing. I think I'm finally through it now. Took three days, but I'm going to <laughs> All right, our barrister of balance, solicitor of speed, counselor of curbs, our tech junkie in rules and temporary extraordinaire, Gareth. How's it going, man? <sighs> Andrew Spencer should take a page out of my book and not get up till 1130 on a race day, only to realize the race hasn't started yet. <laughs> I mean, I missed the first three hours of the commentators filling, but I'm sure it was great. <laughs> Which, of course, brings us to our fun-loving, wine-swilling, fact-spewing, joy-listening lecturer himself. Our absent-minded professor and iron horse himself, Phil's here. Huh, how did you do it? I don't understand. I don't know, but I listened to four-plus hours <laughs> of Martin Brundle and Crofty just talking away, finding amazing facts <laughs> that I didn't even think existed out there. It was entertaining from that perspective, although, I, God, I wish there had been a race, let me tell you. Kudos to Spencer for joining me for most of it. It was fantastic <laughs> to have somebody to text back and forth with. and. Big shame on you, Gareth, for yet again sleeping through what should have been a good race, but ended up being an absolutely waste of time. It's like I knew your rain dance would work. (laughs) It had to work one time, right? So, boys, tell us a little bit about Spa. I mean, you know, despite the fact that it's right now an island, that circuit is really, really quite something. Tell us more about it. Why is it so special? That's an awesome circuit. I mean, it goes back to the 50s. It has an ancient history from a racing perspective. It's got lovely sweeping fast corners, long straights with a lot of twiddly pieces in between, and really good driver's course. It's one of those old classic courses. I, yeah, they don't build them like that at all anymore. And it has a high risk, which is also kind of fun to watch uh, the drivers navigate their way through. Most of the time they get it right. Occasionally, unfortunately, and we saw this twice uh, over the weekend. Once with Lando as he spun out in Eau Rouge and, and once in the W Series as well. Which, you know, obviously a sign that possibly with these modern cars and the speeds that they're going through, they need to consider how the safety measures and how the runoffs really are working to make sure that there aren't any major injuries like there were on the weekend. Tell us about the spa area, Andrew. What's around the circuit or what's special about Belgium itself? Why is that one of those races we should probably go to? 
Isn't it usually a rugby field for France and Germany? I thought that's what. Uh, <laughs> uh, no, it's a it's a great European country. Lots of culture, food. You know, the, a lot of the Western alliances there. NATO is in Brussels, so lots of diplomats and people in gray suits and waffles. So high recommend. And chocolate. You can't talk Belgian without chocolate. I mean, that's true. Maybe the waffles are more next week. As Spencer was talking about Western foods, I, he started off with the W, and I thought he was going to say wet weather. Well, yeah, that is typically Belgian. Oh, that's fair enough. It's fair enough. Gareth, tell us about some of the tech specs we should have seen this week. What was going to be exciting and what was kind of exciting, at least on Saturday? It's a great question, Randy. It's a great question. Now, have I told you I'm imminently packing for vacation, trying to do all this work before I can go on vacation? And I didn't have time to prepare for our podcast tonight. So we would have seen a great dry weather upgrade package that folks would have brought these as part of the, okay, summer breaks over, but some stuff was kind of being done. There were some upgrades planned. Hopefully we'll see them at the Dutch Grand Prix next weekend. So if you haven't figured out, folks, Belgium clearly wasn't a race. We had basically, you know, a formation lap where somebody bended, everybody went back to the pits. It rained some more, then it rained some more, then it rained a little bit, then it rained some more. It rained a little bit after that. Then what happened, Phil? It rained some more. Yeah. Rain was on the agenda, for sure. And then they did two more laps, and that was it. Oh, yeah. You could call those laps, I guess. What the hell was that? It was an interpretation of the rules, and it was an application of the it rules the rule. as they were drafted. And it turns out the rules as drafted didn't account for this circumstance. And that's what we got. Are you kidding me? That was a promoter's version of an old joke. You know, comedian comes out on stage and says, oh, Great. You paid your money. You saw me. Now leave. Like, that was all that was. Like, I think it's more than just the promoter side. It's also from a points perspective and, and for them being able to issue something. I mean, within the commentators' conversations, they were talking about, you know, well, can we move the race to Monday? There's a lot of considerations when you think about that. You've got your marshals. You know, are there actually going to be any? There's too many logistics. And because it's a back-to-back-to-back weekend of races these days, there's no time in between. So, I mean, literally, it takes them a day or more to pack down after the circuit. It takes them a day to set up at the other circuit, and they have to physically get there. No, but Formula One logistics are fascinating, and they are unpacking as those cars are doing the final laps of the race. Like, they're packing up, and you can't do what NASCAR no. and IndyCar will yeah. do, which is, okay, we couldn't do it on a Sunday or a Saturday, depending on the type of race. We'll do it on the Sunday or the Monday. And the schedule just didn't have the luxury, really. Yeah, still. I mean, I'm sure it made for interesting television. I really like, at some point, somebody's going to do a super cut of just Martin Brundle doing his thing Sunday. But wow. You know, I mean, four hours, there was a lot of incredible facts that came out of that. Sort of insight into Formula One and a lot of history. Martin knows, and obviously they have their gurus hunting down the facts as he's talking too. But, you know, he knows his stats. He knows his information. He knows his data. So there was a lot of fun conversations about older races that even Martin was at and, and what that looked like. It was entertaining. It wasn't what necessarily, you know, we got up for or or paid for, but. If you wanted to put on a four-hour podcast about the history of Formula One with interesting facts, absolutely. Yeah. I was going to say, it was baseball. <laughs> it was four hours of some guy talking with moments in between. It wasn't Formula One. <laughs> no, but there were interesting pieces. Like, if you look at what the drivers were doing and everything like that, there was an interesting insight happening. You know, Mick Schumacher was using the pit wall of McLaren to look at the weather and everything like that. 
God knows what else he was seeing on those pit wall screens. I mean, he, this was happening like throughout the entire time that they were waiting. Uh, there was a great video of uh, Mick and an engineer and Sebastian and an engineer playing soccer in the garages. You know, they're just things that you don't normally see. I mean, you don't see this sort of the teams actually together. Well, they're kind of together because they're all just killing time waiting to do their thing. People yeah. in Formula One, like they don't kill time unless you listen to our podcast. In which case, thank you. Yeah, of course. <laughs> thank you. That's why none of them listen to our podcast, by the way, guys. Yeah, and actually, speaking of Martin Brundle, I, something I want to bring up is during Lando Norris's red flag during qualifying, what he talked about there was fascinating. It was kind of, why do we do this? People get hurt. This has happened. This has been my experience. It's well worth a listen if you're somebody who likes Formula One, but also says, you know, this is dangerous. This is a little bit weird. We were watching these people knowing that they get seriously killed. Like, why are we doing this? Where's the interest? It was fascinating. It's something I'll listen to again. So, yeah, Martin Brundle, his fill, fantastic. Would we rather have had a race? Absolutely. Yeah, Brundle and Croft did a great job. Yeah. Well, I'll give you that. It was just something else. But with that, it's time for everyone's favorite game. So, Eric, play the sound. Bingo! For those who join our show regularly or those who are new, Box 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 Bingo is one of our favorite segments, which sees our panel make some poorly informed prognostications, which is perfectly fine because the points never, ever really matter. Before our race, those predictions go up. Some of them are obvious, some outrageous, all completely irrelevant to the outcome of the race. And clearly, the outcome of the race was irrelevant this week. So... There's like a weekly set of prop bets where everybody has a shot, and of course, Gareth always wins, except this week. I'm changing the goalpost, damn it! Because it was just one of those weird weeks where clearly Phil and I just knew by instinct that there wasn't going to be a race. It got absolutely almost nothing on the board. I was going to say, is that why you guys didn't post anything on the board? I knew it was going to rain, guys. I knew we were going to be having stoppages. I figured, what was the wait? Why waste the time and energy trying to predict something I was going to get wrong anyway? It's not because Randy sent out the mural at like 11 o'clock on a Friday night before a race, and some of us were already at a bar. <laughs> Whatever. Thanks for leaving all the points for me this week. That's all. Yeah. yeah. We had to give you an edge there, Spencer. That's what it was. Awesome. All right. Andrew, start us up. What were your best predictions on the board? How'd you do? All right. I did pretty well this week. So I had in uh, my Bottom five for the predicted grid. I had Sunoda Raikkonen, Italian Jeebas, Mick Schumacher, and Mazepin. Not in the right order, but I had the right five suspects. I knew that Latifi, our Canadian guy, was going to be a wet weather expert and was going to get out of Q1. So I'll give myself half points for that. I'm going to give myself at least 1,500 points for saying for my lander. I was going to lead a quarter or more of the laps of the race. And for those of you who don't know, Bert Mylander is the uh, guy with one of the best jobs in the world who hoons the safety car around the track in front of the pack whenever he's out. So you got that one right. And finally, and I think most impressively, I called a double points finish for William for the second week in a row. And boy, oh boy, that came through. I mean, I don't think anyone else had that on this board. So that's got to be at least another 4,200 points for me. Uh, that. Yeah, no, no. I, I feel like that is worth 4,200 points, although I did predict a podium for George, so that's a million points. <laughs> this is the highlight for the folks at home, Gareth. You said podium for George, and yes, I'm contradicting myself. Well, because I, I'd earlier predicted in our top three, there's no rule that says predictions can't contradict other predictions. I also predicted at least two safety car experiences, and we definitely got those. 
We also got some great Unimog um, appearances. Didn't predict those, so there's more points. And uh, I also predicted George would be the cork in a bottle and give Max a great lead, which happened. Max won the race, and George finished second. So there you go. Kept everybody behind him. There you go. That's that's fair. So Gareth uh, scores 1,267 points, but by decathlon scoring, that ends up as 18. So how did you do, Phil, for the couple that you had? The three categories that I actually managed to get anything in for, uh, not very good, as is always the case. You know, mine was all around the qualifying and the race itself. The bottom five, I had a couple of the names in the bottom five there, obviously. Mick and Mazepin. I do have to say, Mazepin was unfortunate. He actually got a new chassis and then couldn't race it. Probably by Haas's best choice of design so that he doesn't wreck it. Sorry, <laughs> dry wit didn't work. We'll cut that one out, Eric. Yeah, top five in the qualifying. Obviously, I didn't expect that Norris was going to hit the wall, but he would have been in that top five for sure. But everything else for me was pretty poor and certainly not as planned. I had Danny Rick finishing in the top five, which, you know what, I'm taking my thousand points and running with that. Yeah, so other than that, I got nothing on the board whatsoever. I, I think I started this one at minus 1700. So solidly, solidly, that ends me up uh, breaking even. So yeah, <laughs> that's right. The rules of math don't matter. Neither is the weather. Any other uh, great predictions? I loved this one. 13 finishers. I think on the text chat, there was a moment where <laughs> Phil called us out for, all right, choose how many finishers we're going to have this race. There was, there was, and we had way more than anticipated, guys. I was anticipating full-on somewhere around the low numbers of single digits of nine. And then, you know, we had this lovely chat with Spence about what's the lowest number of racers to finish in a Formula One Grand Prix. Wasn't that four? Four, yes. Do you know when, Randy? I believe it was Indianapolis. It was like that started at Indianapolis? Like... <laughs> <laughs> Oh, that was another one of those Sambles <laughs> F1 races for sure. Or, sorry, was that Monaco 96? Monaco 96. Uh, actually, I think it had yes. Monaco 96 had five. I have to go back to the chat to actually okay. find the, the answer to this guy. Is that the one where Penis won That's by like Penis. pure detrition? Yeah. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Absolutely. Uh, I think there was five actually when you look at Monaco 96. We're actually going back to the 60s to get down to, to four. So, so, speaking of the number of finishers, we had 20, 20 people classified. I'd like someone to explain to me, and I'm sure I'm not the only one who'd like to know, how Perez was able to get back in the race, given that his car was put on a truck and brought back to the pits before everything started. I would have thought we'd have 19, but Michael Massey let him back. Councilor Stackhouse, this is all you. Because the race never started. Phil said it. There was never a grid to form up to, and the race never started. Because there's a whole thing about you can't be aided to get back to the pits. You know, if the grid's been done, but that never happened because the race never started. The grid was never formed. And that's how they did it. Plus, the uh, kind of interesting thing is, and we heard the radio, Red Bull asked Michael Massey and, you know, they got a ruling. There was some back and forth. And he said, yeah, okay, let him start. And there you go. Didn't do Sergio Perez any good. And I will say, if you go and look at the point standings, I think third, fourth, and fifth in the points, nobody scored points that race. Bottas, Norris and Perez, they all conspired either this week or the previous week to take themselves out. So a little bit of interesting, uh, interesting observation there. Yeah, interesting. Also, fastest lap goes to none other than no. Nope, there is Mazepin. no fastest lap, Phil, because the final race classification removed the fastest lap for Nikita Mazepin. Did they? 
because of this whole count back thing about times across the control line. (laughs) Stay with me. Um, (laughs) Yeah, we just lost anybody away. (laughs) It's like, yeah, I think as Bob just tuned out. Damn it. (laughs) Uh, She tuned out 38 years ago. I started screaming. As I look at the official race classifications, the results calculated in accordance with Article 51.14 of FIA blah, blah, blah. Namely, at the end of lap one being the penultimate lap before the lap during which the signal to suspend the race was given. However, for the purpose of calculating points, because the leader crossed the control line three times, therefore complying with the requirement to complete more than two laps. Because, of course, on a red flag race, there's a count back to the lap before the red flag. Absurd. Can I just point something out? <laughs> yeah. Our man Checo, he hasn't scored any points since Austria. Why do you think Albon got that seat at Williams? That's a tough scene over there right now. Not helping their championship fight. No, No. not at all. All right, let's talk about what really mattered Saturday. Because, wow, that was a day. It's few times that actual quality, you know, really is captivating. And Gareth slept in for long enough. But that was a fun quality. I saw quality. Did you see the whole thing? Yeah, two-thirds of it. Okay, there we go. <laughs> More than two-thirds of it. This is an informed show, folks. I went back and watched the highlights. You know, I, I'm just going to say it because I was screaming, George! Holy jeez, George! I was like lying in bed, waking up the neighbors, I'm sure, screaming George. <laughs> My dog was running around wondering if I was having a heart attack. How did you react to that, Spence? Oh, Do you wake up Martha? yeah, I was uh, sequestered in the basement, so there was no chance of waking her up. But I was not very happy with Max, and I had... A couple of expletives. Expl- what's the word I'm looking for? Expletives. That's the one. Bad words. Yeah, bad words. That yeah. Mr. Verstappen after he, he ruined my Saturday dream for our, our boy George. Right. I was like, Max, just let up off it. What the hell are you doing, man? Just let him have it. Absolutely. Max's response, I'm winning a championship. Yeah, of course. Of course. Absolutely. I get it. I get it rationally, and I, I get his, but it was like, come on, man. Of all the times not to flat spot, this was the time? <laughs> of all the times to be perfect, this was the time you chose to be perfect? My yeah. goodness. Wow. Way to do it, man. <laughs> I love the countdown that George's engineer gave him over the radio. You're faster than Mr. Hamilton. Faster than Gasly. Faster than. Faster than. And he kind of went through everyone. And we were all just sitting there knowing the only guy who could possibly take it from him is realistically Max. <laughs> and... God damn it, Max. You really you really ruined my Saturday back. <laughs> <laughs> he did. And that was worth watching. I, I went back and I watched the in-car of the, I guess, not only the warm-up lap, but he went into the pits, changed, I think, to inters, went back out the warm-up lap and the push lap, or maybe there are two push laps. And then it, it, the camera swapped over to the front view camera as the engineer was counting down. And you could see him getting visibly more excited as they started to yeah. count down the other kind of eight people out there who could take this yeah. away from them. It was, in addition to the lap itself. Is yeah, also I mean, the lap itself was brilliant. Like, wow, well done, George. Oh, not meant to be. And that's another week of box, 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 bingo. We'll do it again this week. And so the board is up, boys. You got a week to work on it now. So <laughs> <laughs> We're not waiting. We're not waiting till Friday night for this one. I like the spontaneity of it. Oh man, is there a whole lot of broadcast call and not at all any radio calls this week. So, boys, what jumped out at you from the radio calls, Andrew? Well, you know, there wasn't anything really to talk about from the race. As we've discussed at length now, there really wasn't one. 
One of the funnier things that I came across on YouTube was a bit from Hamilton's team radio when the cars were on the grid before they were going to go out. And Hamilton, I guess, had gone to relieve himself at some point while the car was on the grid. And he came back and he was telling the guys on the team that just before he went to use the bathroom, whoever was in there dropped a bomb on the place. It was the worst thing he'd (laughs) ever seen. You know, Hamilton was having a bad bathroom day because I believe there was one point where he was rushing, which he could have waited, to go to the the facilities while the cars were in the pits waiting on the first time. And he had to wait for the camera guy to come out. Uh, And apparently that was uh, an issue and it's all right. So he was having just a series of, you know, washroom-related issues, shall we say. Yeah, nothing ruins your race day like bad poo day. I'm sure Toto will commission an inquiry to get to the bottom of it. <laughs> it's a conspiracy, guys. No doubt. It was Christian that went in ahead of time. Michael, <laughs> I sent you an email. <laughs> Somebody saw Helmut Marco go in there. This was deliberate. I sent you an email about the rules on the bathroom specs. Did you open it, Michael? <laughs> <laughs> there are diagrams. I've got a video on that I've texted you. Oh, uh, yeah. yeah. Oh, boy. Some other good radio worth talking about, Seb Vettel's Q3 radio, which was, it's too wet out here, somebody's going to get hurt. Hell yeah. Shortly before Lando Norris binned it at Spa, or sorry, Eau Rouge slash Radial. And that's one of those things where, you know, Sunday night, apparently, Massey came out and said, yeah, we should have paused Q3 and delayed it a bit before going ahead. No, I don't listen to all the driver's radio because I can't listen to all of it. But it illustrates that in condition situations like this, you really got to listen to the people who are driving the track. Yeah, I'm excited for when Seb becomes a race director. <laughs> I will say this, seeing Seb stop on the track just to make sure that Lando was uh, okay and, and to get that and then to relay that back to the team, that was awesome to see. It was, and you know, there's 19 other people who do what you do, and if you're the first one who shows up when somebody's gone into the wall, yeah. you should... Do that. And once upon a time, the only people who pull you out of a burning car were the other drivers. The drivers yeah. yeah, for sure. It was a scary moment, but yikes. That was a bin. What about you, Phil? You Iron Man through this whole thing. What were some of your broadcast or radio quote highlights? You know, <laughs> there were no broadcast or radio quote highlights. It was pure listening and trying to absorb absolutely everything that was being said. Nothing sort of jumped out as, you know, special, shall we say, at that point. There was just so much fill. I mean, how do you find the amazing stuff through all that fill that they had to do? No pun in my name intended. Something apparent to me, I mean, just watching that broadcast for four hours on Sunday, and, you know, tell me if you have a different view, guys, but it seems like the rules around, you know, the race starts and the length of time you have and, you know, red flagging, starting and stopping, et cetera, are so complicated that it doesn't seem like anybody really has a really good handle on it, at least knowing that we were hearing. Like, it became pretty apparent that, you know, Martin and Crofty had a rough idea of what was happening, but they didn't know all the rules. You know, the sporting directors of the teams we heard on the on the horn to Massey asking about, you know, when do have to start? You know, what does the clock mean now that you've stopped it? Like, it, nobody knows. There was a distinct lack of communication, I think. But, I mean, this was a unique scenario, and there was a distinct, I mean, you could tell for the first two hours they really hadn't sorted out what was really happening because the clock hadn't started but the clock had started but from only from one context that the clock started so it was one of those you know nobody had said and as gareth said it was there was no clear communication and it should have come from the race director down to the teams saying guys this is where we are this is what the situation is these are the timelines that we have to deal with and this is what this is going to mean 
But he didn't do that, at least not from what could have been as perceived from anybody's radios. There was at one point where uh, the sporting director from Ferrari got on the horn and asked if we were all going home because the clock had stopped. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there were some great moments at the end. I think Crofty finally was just like, oh, good, we're ending this broadcast. I can now just bring the British wit. So at one point he said, you know, the national anthems probably took longer than the laps run, which I thought was pretty clever. And then it, I don't know if many people caught it, but at the very end he's like, Ah, well, that was a long talk. We're going to need some water right now. Does anybody know where we can find some water? <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure Croft had been planning that, and yeah, I thought it was, it was a good hilarious. Moment, but <laughs> Speaking of media, Formula One managed to cut together a highlights reel, like a, a, a highlights video. It's on YouTube of like six minutes and 48 seconds. <laughs> and I watched it, and I was like, really? Really? <laughs> they found six minutes and 48 seconds worth of content? I'm impressed. Um, a lot of it was bumpers and yeah. crowd shots. Okay. <laughs> yeah. And then Sergio Perez going in the wall three different ways. Oh, there you go. Oh. There's that. Yeah. That was a shame. Uh, seeing him go to the grid and seeing that happen, that was just, that was awful, really. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Didn't even see it. I know Netflix got a lot of B-reel this weekend, though. That was lovely. <laughs> so, like, holy jeez. Anyways, that's it for this week's What You Talking About, Lewis? We'll get back to our normal segments at next race at the Dutch Grand Prix. But this week, let's talk the silly season because all kinds of news. Spence, tell us what's going on, man. Well, what we're hearing today from the French broadcaster, and I'm going to probably butcher this, but it's, I think, Canal Plus. They were out Plus. with... It's French, yeah. French. So, that would be Canal Plus. Thank you. Let's, let's get it right. <laughs> so they came out with a report that was pretty interesting and, if correct, would certainly fill a lot of the holes in the grid for next year. So their reporting said that pretty soon it was going to be announced that our man Valtteri was going to be going to Alpha, take the seat of the retiring Kimi Raikkonen, which, you know, maybe he'll go, maybe he won't. Who knows? We've been talking about Kimi doing this for a little while now, which would obviously free up a spot at Mercedes. And the open Williams seat would then be taken by, of all people, and this was kind of, I think the craziest part of it all, this reporting, would be taken by Alex Albon. Oh, there's one more crazy twist to this. I don't know if you noticed it. Further yeah. down, it's Nick DeVries will take over for Giovanetti in the yep, Alpha seat. So Alpha is predicting, they're saying, basically, the prediction is Alpha's going to dump both their drivers. I'm kind of surprised that they would dump both, to be honest. like I thought that the Italian Jesus was actually, you know, performing well relative to Raikkonen. I thought they would have wanted to have some continuity in the team. But that that's interesting. I mean, look, like DeVries should get a shot, right? F2 winner needs a seat at some point. He should. Yeah. The race put out a YouTube video about kind of one of the best current drivers who never got a real shot at Formula One, Nick DeVries. And a report that I read after you brought this up earlier, Spence, was Fred Vasseur and Toto Wolff are ah. buds. And DeVries, of course, is a Mercedes driver. And, of course, so is Valtteri. Yeah, but, but Alpha's Ferrari engines. And there's a lot of Ferrari money there. Yeah, so. but haven't we heard kind of rumors that, you know, and Alfa Romeo, of course, Stellantis company, that maybe, you know, the partnership between Alpha and Sauber, because it is still Sauber, Alfa Romeo, or Alfa Romeo Sauber, yeah. isn't kind of an ironclad forever and ever amen. Hmm. Interesting. So then who might they pick up? 
And honestly, if Alpha wants to get back up, you know, somebody's got to finish last, somebody's got to finish ninth. But right now, Alpha's just had their butts kicked by Williams. And, you know, Giovinazzi, this seems like a nice guy. They like him. He hasn't done a lot in the, was it three years he's been here? Yeah, that's fair. And maybe they think it's, you know, time to shake up that seat and continue with the retirement home for finished Formula One drivers. <laughs> <laughs> and actually, that's the Alfa Romeo connection. I don't know if you guys know this, but Finland, one of every 20 cars registered is, of course, an Alfa Romeo 4C really? or Julia. Yeah, they, they love reliable Italian sports cars up there in Finland. goes great with the weather and the climate. Oh, sorry. You used the word reliable and Alfa Romeo in the same sentence. Oh, whoops. We may need to cut that out. I'm just thinking that nothing is going to go better on the snow and ice than a 4C. So yeah. I, I totally <laughs> <laughs> Well, it's got the mid-engine, all the grip, like your weight's right over the wheels. Yeah. Take it out ice racing. It's a bit of a wacky one, that one. And same with Albin, but thinking about Albin going to Williams, you know, this this is that hedge that Red Bull wants to, to replace Sergio, especially if the Alpha Tauri drivers kind of stay there or don't work out or whatever. But wouldn't you think that DeVries would be a better fit at Williams, I mean, given the Mercedes connection? Like, isn't that a more logical spot for him to go if he's coming to the grid next year? Yeah. It depends on how the relationships are working, right, with the with the teams in the long run. I mean, you know, a lot of the management from, I think now at Williams, the sort of senior management, Joska, they're all VW, all those guys, VW you know, rallies program, the VW fans. And if they're thinking of an entry point as a manufacturer, actually, the best entry point yeah. as an engine manufacturer, of course, is the ready to slap a brand name on it, Red Bull engines. And if you'd like to say, okay, we're Williams yeah. running Mercedes along with, what is it, four teams running Mercedes-Benz engines this year. Let's spread our wings a bit and be more of a kind of top-tier manufacturer-supported team than just a kind of little bit of support, but also yeah. customer team. Maybe that's what they're thinking. I kind of love that. The Red Bull VW. <laughs> <laughs> I might actually buy a new shirt. <laughs> well, there are... It's not without precedent, may I remind you. I believe the program was sponsored by Red Bull. There's a strong relationship there, for sure. Yeah. Yeah, that's kind of fun. I like that. Wow, this season is really silly. I like this. This is good. And then I've just pulled up a recent article as of yesterday, two days ago, by the race. And you know, there's speculation about the second seat at uh, Haas, whether it's Schwartzman or Eilat. And maybe that's where Ferrari sticks their next junior, who's Eilat or Robert Schwartzman. That'd be bye-bye Mazepin, is that what you're saying? I was just about to ask, do we lose everybody's favorite pincushion? Well, I mean, he's done so well this year, and maybe Daddy gets bored, and who knows? It's fair enough. Or maybe Ferrari says, we'll give you a junior and some more money, and Haas says, you know, rather than deal with the Mazepin family. (laughs) (laughs) I just can't wait for season four of Drive to Survive just to see the Gunther Steiner moments. (laughs) <laughs> uh, we'll all be relaxing next march and looking forward to that yeah. yeah for sure i don't know how you guys did it i binge watched season three i think it came out i want to say at midnight my time the early friday morning and i think i stayed up and watched four episodes so i watched them back to back to back to back then got a couple hours of sleep and got up and watched the other six 
it really didn't take very long for me to get through. One per night, because I'm not a junkie like you. Yeah, I was like, I think I did it one per night, or maybe two per night, because I was like, ah, this is too good. But that was it. <laughs> Don't worry, Spencer, you're not the only one that watched it in uh, one quick, rapid succession. I think I watched it within 24 hours. And for our listeners, if you've binged on Drive to Survive, we'd love to hear it. Give us a line at, uh, at SlipinF1 on Twitter, and yeah, tell us your story, because... Lord knows we need more stories about that. Delightful, silly season, and I think we're all just waiting for the dominoes to fall. I think they're close. I think they're close to falling. I mean, hopefully we find out in the next week or two. I say it's Monza, man. Everything comes down at Monza. Don't do it at the Dutch Grand Prix. That's going to be enough drama there. You know, bring it down to the Temple of Speed. Everybody makes their announcements. and Actually, you know, it turns out, though, next week in the press conference lineup, we've got George and Lance together. That's the very last press conference, so that's going to be a lot of fun. I can hear Phil swooning right now. <laughs> yeah, that's what I'm doing. <laughs> Lance Stroll, I was going to say, it's everybody's favorite driver after Nikita Mazepin. <laughs> yeah, I think it was Saints that got stuck with Mazepin this week. I'm not sure, but Jenny Gao posts stuff up on a regular basis, so I read it because I'm goofy like that. Let's take it over to Windsor Win. Your impressions of the weekend. Three takeaways from this week include one driver team observation, one overall race or venue impression. That one I'm looking forward to. And one thought for the future of <laughs> sports. So let's get it started. Gareth, what's your Windsor Win for this week? Phil touched on it earlier. We discussed it, the debate about quote-unquote old circuits. We all love the old circuits. Spa is dangerous. The Oru's Radion Corner, like the whole the hill, it's brilliant. But how much runoff is there? And this was, of course, death a couple of years ago as well. And it's really, it's built into the side of the hill in the forest. And can it be made safe enough for the current crop of cars? That's kind of a debate that the sport needs to keep having, unfortunately. And I mean, we love that circuit. We love that corner. But is it safe? That really is something that we're asking each other. So that's kind of the overall race of venue future of the sport. And this is going to happen. They've already said it's going to happen. Fix the bloody rules. <laughs> Fix the bloody rules about how races are run so this doesn't happen again. Please and thank you. This happens once. It doesn't happen again. And then for next week, what to look forward to? I'm just looking forward to everything because we haven't been to Zandvoort in kind of my lifetime of watching Formula One. I think last time we were there was 1985, and I wasn't watching F1 then. We didn't have cable, and I was three. Oh. And I'm just looking at a track map right now. I'm like, can anybody pronounce the corner names? <laughs> and I'm looking at Phil. Maybe we'll get your father-in-law and your mother-in-law together on this podcast yes. to help us <laughs> with the Dutch translation. Can I translation. stop drinking now is what I'm going to ask you yeah. Um, <laughs> All of a sudden, Flippin' F1 has the name change that cannot be said in polite company. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I feel like the word boscht, boscht is corner in Dutch. We've got Tarzan, Gerlach, Hungenholtz, Herzog, Schlotmaker, Schlivak, 9 and 10, <laughs> Master, Hens Ernst, Kumho botched. I guess Kumho bought that corner. And then Ari Leindijk botched. Great IndyCar champion right there. So, yeah. I'm looking really forward to it. 
I'm looking forward to kind of this reprofiled banked turn that they've put in. And I'm just looking forward to seeing a million Dutch fans going absolutely nuts for Max Verstappen. Like, hopefully we put on a great race to make up for last week. Yeah. And I think it's bocht, not boached. But, you know, we'll find out how it's pronounced wrongly tomorrow. B-O-C-H-T. I don't speak Dutch. I don't know. What are you talking about? I think we have our cold <laughs> open for next week. Everybody's going to try to pronounce track corner names. See how we do. <laughs> just, you know, we've already offended every other sponsor. Let's just offend a whole country while we're at it. Why not, boys? Oh, we've done that already. Hello, Azerbaijan. I do have to go back, so let's yeah. not do that, please. <laughs> <laughs> I have family over I was going to say, I was anyway. like, wait a minute, Phil's in-laws <laughs> I mean, listen? We got 12! <laughs> <laughs> Phil, wait, do they know you don't like them? <laughs> <laughs> that was so funny. Phil, give us your winter wow. Uh, I'm going to start off on the backwards. Well, just because since we're on that, going to Zandvoort, I'm really excited to see that. I've been to that general area, and it's fantastic. So I can just imagine what the circuit's going to be like. It's going to be a blast to watch everybody, including us, butcher the names <laughs> of the corners. And that includes can me. Can you imagine David Croft pronouncing these? Yeah. It's great. <laughs> it's going to be fancy, that's for sure. In terms of, you know, highlights from the race and everything, you know, the circuit, yeah, it was washed out. It was a shame. I love Spa. I think it's an amazing circuit. We have to acknowledge that there are things that need to change, that we need to make some improvements to keep it safer for the drivers. At the same time, though, I hope they don't do what they did with Hockenheim, no. which is totally destroyed a classic. You know, there's a way to do it to keep the sanctity mm -hmm. of that circuit, but just make it safer. And I think that's the important thing that they certainly have to do. I agree, Gareth hit it right on the head as well. Formula One's got to look at these rules. You know, they've been getting more complex, and, and this time they finally got tripped up on their own complexity. It's 40 years in the making, folks. They just need to hire some knowledgeable Formula One lawyers to help them and come to every race to assist them. Don't they, Andrew Spencer? That's good news. There's two on the call here, and there's two consultants that can help to facilitate that. So if anybody's yeah. listening... We're available. And we'll work collectively for only like 50% of what Lewis gets every year. We're bargain. Bargain deal. Bargain deal, folks. Although Phil is bringing his dog and a scooter, so. I've got to get around the circuits. I mean, come on. That only works if you also wear the green wellies, so. Oh, right, right, right. I do want to say, I think, a huge kudos to Williams, to George. What an amazing qualifying, what amazing practices that they had. They really were able to ring the car, put it all together. And the same for Lando. He really, I, I think if he had not had the accident, there was a high chance he actually possibly would have been on the front row, if not possibly even on pole. He had that McLaren working flawlessly. So from a driver's observation, it was fantastic to watch that in the qualifying to see where we are from a race perspective. Sounds good. Spence? So I had a lot of the same points that, you know, the guys have already brought up about Spa, about the rules fiasco that we watched this weekend, and about, you know, Lando really seeming to be on it before you put the car in the wall. I just like to say two things. One, if you want to learn a little bit about the changes that they're proposing to make to Spa, and in particular, Eau Rouge and, and Radion, the YouTube channel Chain Bear has an excellent video that went up today about the changes and what they need to do in order to make it a bit safer, and I encourage everyone to go watch it. In terms of the next race, what I'm looking forward to is really Phil and a pair of painted wooden clogs. <laughs> They're in the garage. I can bring them out. Okay, good. That'll make my weekend, Phil. It'll make getting up at 6 o'clock just a little more bearable. I'll make sure to take a shot and take, send it to you guys. And he actually doesn't wear like a hula skirt for this when he does the dances for the Dutch Grand Prix. 
He dresses up like the uh, character on the cleaning solution jug. Perfect. Well, I mean, look, it's Holland, so you don't want to mess around with anything that might interfere with the dikes, right? Like the dike system around the uh, the outside of the country. Well, I get and it. I, I'm actually like looking that. at a satellite map as Envoort right now, and it is right on the ocean. Right on the coast. It's amazing. It's literally, you go across the street and there's a beach. And it looks beautiful. And actually, good yeah. news for Andrew Spencer. It's also surrounded by golf courses. No, fantastic. There you go. Beautiful beach. And I can, between us, we got a place to stay if this circuit stays and we oh. want to go there. Oh, I love it. Not far from the track. I love it. Next time around, Stroop Waffles on Phil. I like it. <laughs> good stuff. Yeah, you know what? So, future of the sport thought, I guess I'll start there. As I watched the rain coverage that I watched this weekend, I know we're looking at bigger wheels Next year, I think we were looking at what 18 inch wheels, which are kind of a wider profile. So it got me wondering, it's like, okay, so now what's that going to do? Like, as the spray clears out when they've got wet races, and how's that going to impact some of the wet? So I'm really interested to see some of the testing. Hopefully, they test in the wet, which will be really amazing to see. But you know, I think that's going to be an interesting thing that happens. You know, Spa, and I'll echo everybody else, right? Spa needs to be safer for sure, but it's not a track you want to lose. I think it's so historical and so beautiful and such a fun place to be. Overall, you know what I'm looking forward to next week is all of these Orange fans that all get pipped by McLaren coming out and taking the Orange cars across the line first, and then all of a sudden nobody knows to cheer for because the cars are Orange, but they're like, well, what do I do with this flare now? <laughs> set it off. <laughs> they're Dutch fans. They'll just set it off. Yeah, for sure. They're just going to have fun, guys. They're going to be the most... I think they're going to be a crazy crowd, that's for sure. I think so. I think so. It's going to be a great home race for those fans, for Max, for everybody, really. I think it'll be a great atmosphere. I'm curious to see what drama ensues, because you know something's going to happen after this week. Just to be clear, none of the penalties that the drivers were carrying into this race are carrying over, correct? Because they've actually had, they've actually raced, technically speaking. They did. They got the grid drops, yeah. Oh. So they've done that. That's good. And, you know, the good news as well, teams have saved their engines. So they've got Except for Lando. one less race under their belt to, to worry about. So, Well, hold on a sec, though. Does Checo and Lando take grid penalties because of new power units from the weekend? Well, they didn't take new power units per se. They had, they had to pit lane start because they swapped the gearbox, mm -hmm. or Lando did. And that would be for just this race anyway. Lando pit lane started. Right, okay. I mean, if they bin that engine there will be a penalty down the road when they actually take the additional power unit. But you've got, I think, right. it, three power okay. units this year? or three ices and three... Yeah. Okay. There are so many drivers, though, that are going to be taking oh. the fourth power unit. I mean, that was yeah. one of the things that the commentators were going through on the four hours that we were listening to. You know, there were just, I think, this ridiculous number, like eight or nine right now, that in all life are going to end up taking a fourth engine because of how the cycles and how the accidents and incidents have happened. So I think there's going right to be the, the advantage to the mere handful of people who don't take additional power units. Yeah, yeah that makes sense. Right, well, let's look forward to the Dutch Grand Prix. So let's get in there, fellas, as the checkered flag drops on another race week. We've had, as always, a great time breaking it down, and I hope you'll join us next week as we break down the Dutch Grand Prix, which I am not going to try to pronounce because I'm just going to mess it up. If you liked what you heard, please throw us some stars, a little bit of love. Even better, please follow us at, at FlippinF1. Tweet out this link to the broadcast. Invite a friend to listen to you next week. We'll talk to you this end. Say goodnight, boys. Goodnight, boys. <laughs> Cheers, fellas. <laughs> and that's goodnight for me. Have a great night. We'll talk to you soon.